Okay, good evening everyone, welcome. Uh, thank you everyone for joining. Um, lovely to see all of our regulars and our guests over here in such fine company. Um, and uh, thank you all for coming out to join us. Thank you, Rabbi Aronson, once again for the amazing, delicious chance. It is delicious, yes? Thank you very much. As always, yes, as always. And thank you to our very own Shlomo Steve Novik for uh, sponsoring not just tonight's class, but for the next four classes, the entire month of Shvat. It was Shvat or February? I think Shvat, right? That's what I had in my head. Well, they kind of overlap. Shvat and February, it's almost the same thing this year. So whichever month he took, maybe he took both months, I don't know, but thank you very much for the sponsorship, and it should be a merit for you and your entire family. And, okay, so let's get into the parsha. Parsha's B'Shalach. We turn a corner over here in this week's parsha. Um, the Jews are finally out. The Jews are marching out with their heads held high and their backs straight out of Egypt. And, um, you know, in triumph, in triumph, in, 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 in victory over here, Mitzrayim has been destroyed, has been demolished. Maka after Maka has befallen Paro and his nation. And that concludes at the end of last week's parsha, Parsha's bow. And this week's parsha, B'Shalach, so we leave. We finally leave Egypt. We finally walk out. Vahi B'Shalach Paro the opening words though are a little strange in terms of just like, you know, putting the whole story together. We're so used to these opening words. I want to translate them, but they, we translate them and dwell on them. They, they throw us off, but they point to a trend and a theme that we can look backwards now and actually detect and pick up on, which uh, really demands our attention and forces us to ask a question. Maybe if we pursue that question, it will give us a nice deeper insight into the whole episode of going out of Egypt. So what is that? Well, let's let's pick up on that and put that together over here. Um, the Parsha, the Torah does not begin the Parsha with describing it as, you know, this was, we, we know what happens, you know, there's another drama upon drama after the ten plagues that befell Egypt in the last few Parshas. So we march out of Egypt again in triumph in this week's Parsha. We arrive at the Red Sea, um, the 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 Amsuf, the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, the Red Sea, and our backs are to the sea. The, the the Egyptians are pursuing us, and lo and behold, we have an eleventh spectacle, this eleventh miracle, uh, wondrous act. The sea splits, and we cross through the sea, and our enemies drown with finality. The tribe is destroyed, is gone. Menachem Tzvi, there's a sea for you right here. Saves it for you. Okay, this seat has been sponsored for the entire month of Shvat by Shlomo Novik, just for you. Is it okay if he takes a seat? Absolutely. I think that the sponsorship covers the seats also. Thank you. Um, so, um, okay. So, so we would describe it as Vayihi, and it, it came to pass when the Jews left Egypt, and the Jews marched out of Egypt. And the Jews marched out of Egypt and triumphed. They came to the, to the Red Sea, and then the next episode happens. That's not how the Torah describes it. And the Torah describes in a term which becomes the name of the parsha. Every parsha has a name. The name here comes from the second word. The name of this week's parsha is Bishalach. Everyone knows Bishalach. This week's parsha is Bishalach. What does Bishalach mean? When he sent. Vayhi Bishalach Paros It came to pass when Paros sent out the nation. When Paros sent them out, so we traveled and we were had the, the, the clouds of glory, the pillar of fire. Great, wonderful. We come to the Amsuk, to the Red Sea, and it splits. All right, but the scene is described, and, and the process is described, not as the Jews leaving Egypt, but of Paro sending the Jews out of Egypt. Paro sent us out. 
strange. Strange. That's what happened. The Paros sent us at. I mean, when you kind of, we kind of just like left, right? There wasn't much left of Egypt. There wasn't much left over there. You know, the, Egypt kind of got smashed to smithereens, smashed to pieces. We kind of marched out. Yet, this is very telling over here, very significant. The Torah describes the exodus. It's not described as an exodus. It's described as Paros sending us out. Very strange. Strange. Like, who's Paro already? I mean, what, what's left of his empire? What's left of Egypt at this point? That's how you describe the Exodus, and we talk about it as the Exodus, you know, with all the all the the, the, the with all the Hollywood glory and the drama. That's how we des- describe it. That's the term that we use is Exodus. Exodus again conjures up this image of millions of people just marching out as free men, but that's not how the Torah describes it. The, Torah, the, the authentic source of information over here describes the process as Bishalach Paro is um Paro sending out the nation. Oh, really? Paro's okay. Bye, everybody. Don't forget to write. Don't forget to come visit. Pesach time. Come back for Passover, right? Come back and visit. Really? That's what happened? Yeah, Paro sent everybody? No, we left. Not only that, though, once we... This is strange, right? This is a very odd phrasing over here that definitely commands our attention. Commands our attention. Um, there's still more chairs. I hope there's more chalons. I don't know if there's any more Dr. Pepper. There's a little bit more Dr. Pepper for anyone who's quick on their feet over there. Um, so not only that, it's odd that the Torah describes this as Bishalach Paro Ha'am. You see, the Exodus is an act of Paro sending us out. Once we pick on this, pick up on this over here, if we look backwards, this actually already came up several times. Um, over and over and over again, and we've discussed this in the Shul on Shabbos, we've discussed this in different places, in different settings, but let's discuss it now over here, over, over the Chalant. Um, over and over and over again, throughout the, the uh, development of, of uh, leaving Egypt and all the plagues and all the suffering, so there's a recurring conversation maybe, a dialogue, sort of, between Moshe, exchange, a recurring exchange between Moshe and Paro. Moshe keeps coming to Paro. What does Moshe keep saying to Paro? Moses keeps coming to Paro and keeps saying what? Say that louder, Menachem. Let my people go. Does everyone agree with this? Everyone heard that line before? Let my people go? Let my people go. Right? When, when, when Moses was in Egypt's land, it's a song, right? You know the song? Yeah, don't sing the song right now, but it's a song. <laughs> Let my people go. Again and again and again. Let my people go. Um, that's how it's said in English. But again, English is a translation of the, the, the Hebrew, the authentic uh, record, the authentic um, text uh, of, of the Torah is, is, the, is the Hebrew, the Lashon HaKodesh, the Holy Tongue over here, the Holy Language. And although Menachem is right, he's wrong. In English, we always translate that as let my people go. That's how it's translated conventionally. But Moshe never really said it. If you look in the text, the, the, the you know, the Torah as it's originally written and originally transmitted, what's the Hebrew version of let my people go? What? Shalach ami v'yavduni. Shalach. Shalach ami. Which is? Which is, what's the difference between let my people go and shalach? What does shalach mean? Send. Send my people. Send them. Send them. You hear the difference? 
Moshe never once said, let my people go. He didn't say it. As, as well known as it is, and as popularized as it is, and as sung as those words are, he never said those words. It's a mistranslation. It's a mistranslation. What Moshe said was, Shalach Amiviyavduni, again and again and again and again, which is, send my people. Send my people out. Send them. Send them. Shalach, send. Not let them go. And there's a world of difference. Let's just appreciate, you know, the difference um, in, the, in the, the connotation behind, uh, between, let my people go and send my people. Let my people go is what, you know, like, just like open the, release them. Uh, you know, unlock the gate. Let them run. Let them run out. Let them run out. In Exodus, let them go. They're 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 burgeoning. They're bursting to get out. Paro, you know, you have the gate locked. Unlock the gate. Let them all run out. Let them go. Let them escape. They're going to escape of their own accord. You just have to stand aside. You just have to unlock the door. You just have to call off the guards and the guard dogs. And they're going to leave on their own. Let my people go. They're, they're roaring and rearing to go. Just get out of the way. That's how it's translated. But Moshe never said that. That was never the message. What did he say? Shalachami. Send them out. What does send imply? Send is a completely different connotation. Send means I, I, I'm doing it. I'm sending them. Not that I'm stepping out of the way and they're doing it on their own. It's a completely different term, which means something completely different altogether. Uh, I, I when sending means I, I'm a participant. I'm part of the action. I am part of the process. If I, you know, can you can you um, send somebody over to to babysit my kids? Can you send someone over to help me move my refrigerator? So I'm part of the process, right? Can you let one of your kids move the fridge? That means th they're really doing it. I'm not doing anything, and I'm 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 in the way. Let them go. Let him come. Means I'm I'm in the way and just step aside and let them do what they want to do anyway. Send, can you send someone? I'm part of the process. Everyone hear the difference? It's a profound difference between letting someone go and sending someone. And the entire time, Paro's always being told, send them. Moshe never once says let them go. He always says shalach ami viabduni, like Yoshua Linda says. Yeshua's seat is also sponsored. It must be. It must be. I don't know how else he came up with that. It must also be part of the sponsorship here tonight. Um, I think so. Moshe never tells Paro, let my people go. Which is what we would expect to say. And that's why that's how we say it in English, because that's what everyone imagines him to be saying, because everyone sees Paro of Mitzrayim as the scene where things are awful, are terrible, and, and the Jews are bursting to get out, and Paro's just this mean warden who's not letting them out. Paro, get out of the way! Let them go already! Let them go! That's how we visualize it. But that's not how the Torah presents it. The Torah presents it in terms of shalachami, paro, send them. Send them out, send them. Meaning be part of the process. Be a participant. Send them. Paro's a participant? He's not a participant, he's, he's indeed the warden, he's the jailer, he's the guy who's in the, who's in the way. And now that we see that looking backwards, we can really appreciate now the... the um, you know, this um, incongruous, anomalous phraseology over here in the beginning of this week's parasha, when the Jews are finally leaving, we have this exodus, they're marching out in triumph, and as we pointed out, let's return to the original question that we asked, how does the Torah describe this? How does the Torah describe the exodus described in terms of it came to pass when Paro sent the nation out. 
sent the nation out. In other words, what Moshe was asking for finally happened, right? That's what the Torah is saying. This is what we wanted. Shalach Ami, Shalach Ami, Shalach Ah, okay, it really happened in the end. He finally sent them out. He sent them out. That's what Yitzhak's time was. Paro's sending. Okay, let's go, everybody. Come, let's go, let's go. Here, I'll, I'll walk you down. And Amos even, maybe he'll even walk you to the Tchum, says Paro. Don't forget to, to send an email once in a while. Don't forget to pick up the phone. And say, Paro, how you doing? How we miss you so much. We miss Egypt, right? Sending them out. Sending them out. Paro didn't send anyone out. Everybody marched out, right? Over Paro. Haloy Dover, who, as we say, something strange is going on over here. Something is afoot. Something is afoot. It's clear. Let, let, now let's flip all that around and try to try to figure out what's going on behind the scenes. It's clear from the way the Torah presents this that the Exodus was re- really never an Exodus, and it wasn't supposed to be an Exodus. It was the point was not to be an Exodus. An Exodus is when everyone just you know again we we destroy Egypt, we demolish Mitzrayim, we neutralize Pharaoh, and everyone marches out. That's an Exodus. No, it was never supposed to be an Exodus. It was supposed to be an act of Paro sending everyone out, and he did send everyone out. Saying that differently, Paro's for some reason supposed to be a participant. Paro has a role to play in the Exodus. We want Paro to have an active involvement. He has a role to play over here. We want him to send everyone out. Here, go, go over here, please go. Go with my, my blessings. Go with my love. Go with, you know, with, with, with all my heart. We want Paro to send everybody. Why is that so important? It's clear from the Torah that that's a critical part of leaving Egypt is that Paro should be involved. And $64 million question right now is, why is it so important for Paro to be involved? Why not just do what we imagine it to be? Just destroy Egypt, destroy Mitzrayim, destroy everything, just nuke the whole country and let everybody march out. It's clear from the Torah that that wasn't sufficient. This would not have satisfied what the Exodus is here for. Is wasn't wouldn't meet God's plan. Part of God's plan is that Paro has to be a participant. He's got to send everybody out. Why is that? So now we've built this up quite a lot. We're I think poised at the threshold of moving forward, trying to have some clarity and see the you know generally when we open up you know the Torah, open the Chumash, you ask the right questions. We we pick up on the nuances over here, and and, and you, you, the nuances present naturally to, our, to naturally present questions to us. Those questions when we pursue them naturally present principles, ideas, and insights. So let's see what insight this yields over here. Again, Paro, for some reason, has to be a participant. Why? The answer is like this. Taking a step back, we have to um, take stock of what exactly was um, the Exodus all about. Um, On the surface, it seems that the Exodus leaving Egypt is all about what? Solving a humanitarian crisis. There's a humanitarian crisis over here. You have millions of people that are enslaved, millions of people that are, you know, in subhuman conditions, that are downtrodden, that are being tormented by the Egyptians. We have a slave caste, and it's not so nice. It's not so nice. Not a, not a nice situation. And God is upset because, hey, A, it's, it's, a, it's not nice to human beings, and B, these are, after all, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, and these are, the, you know, my special chosen people, and I don't like what's going on. So, let's, let's, um, let us release them from their suffering. That's what it certainly seems on the surface, that we have, and, and again, that could just be described as a humanitarian crisis, and... Being that it's a humanitarian crisis, we have to solve the crisis. How do we solve the crisis? <coughs> By releasing the Jews 
and that's an exodus and and hooray that's that's wonderful um and we 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 punish our tormentors with 10 plagues and we drown many of them in the ocean under the red sea and that's amazing we celebrate the downfall of our oppressors and we march into the desert um but that's not what the exodus was if that's all it was solving a humanitarian crisis and getting the jews out of their state of torment then indeed it should have been in terms of let my people go and everyone's just marching out everyone is leaving everyone walking out the door everyone walking over the egyptians and walking over pharaoh it's clear that it wasn't just about solving this crisis and releasing us from our state of torment and captivity it's much more than that and the insight so the much more than that comes from last week's parsha in parsha's bow right before we leave egypt we're given one of their very first commandments that we receive as a Jewish nation, and that is to bring the Karm Pesach, the Pesach sacrifice. The Passover sacrifice we bring in Egypt for the very first time on the eve of our exodus. Guys, okay? this is a well-known idea. We, we, every Jewish household took a lamb, a sheep, uh, a, a kid, a baby goat, and they brought it as a sacrifice. And that night, the evening of their release, the evening of their liberation, they dined on the on the sacrifice. Now, why is it, you know, we're going to have a lot of time to bring sacrifices after we leave Egypt. We're going to be in the desert for 40 years. And we're going to move into the land of Israel. And we're going to have a temple that's going to stand for centuries. There's a lot of time to bring sacrifices. Why is it that we have to, that you have to have all these Jews in Egypt bring a sacrifice right before they leave? Just leave and you know, they have plenty of time after you leave. Why do we have to spend extra time bringing sacrifices? So there's a fascinating insight into, into this idea. It wasn't um, an arbitrary commandment. It wasn't, you know, uh, something to give us, uh, you know, more things to be busy with. You know, anyone that's ever gone on a trip with your family, anyone here ever gone on a trip with their family? How long was the trip for? Two weeks. How much time did you spend packing? Four weeks, right? Four weeks. Yeah? How much time did you spend unpacking? You're still unpacking, right? Right? You're still unpacking. So, so uh, you go on a, a Jewish family takes a trip with Jewish kids. You spend a lot of time packing food and, I don't know, you know, uh, stuff. Somehow we, we can't leave, right, without lots and lots and lots of stuff. With lots of stuff uh, in the van with you. Um, so the Jews are getting ready to leave Egypt. They've they got to pack up. You know, they're very, very, very busy. Um, they're told by God, you're going to leave on the 15th of Nisan. It's not like they have extra time on their hands. Why is it that God tells them, before you go, go to the market and, and get a sheep and, and sacrifice it and do, put the blood on the, on, the, on the doorpost and sit and roast and eat it. They have a lot of things to do. Why does this have to be squeezed in right before they left? So the, the, the Pusik says like this, a fascinating idea. On the eve of their... Uh, liberation, they're commanded to bring a Korban Pesach. Why? Because it says, uh, Mishchu, which means literally um, to, to pull or to draw. Draw and take for yourselves. This is Moshe commanding the Jewish nation um, uh, uh, via the, uh, the word of God. God tells Moshe, tells Moses, command the nation, Mishchu, Kechu, um, draw forth and go purchase a sheep. Go, go get a sheep. Get a sheep. 
um, each household shall have a sheep, and each household shall slaughter it on the eve of, of, of your liberation and roast it and eat it. Each household shall take a sheep for a paschal lamb, a paschal sacrifice. Mishchu ukechu, the Pasuk says. Draw and take, draw and take. What's draw and take? Draw and, and take. What does it mean to draw and take? So mishchu means draw. It also means withdraw. To withdraw, to refrain. Withdraw from something. To refrain from something. To purge yourself from something. And the commentators explain over here, what we were being told was, withdraw. Purge yourselves. Refrain. And, 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 um... Rip yourselves away from Egyptian culture, from Egyptian culture, and take a lamb to bring as a sacrifice to God. In other words, in other words, and not just from Egyptian culture, from the whole Egyptian system of their idols, their their pagan acts, their pantheon of gods, withdraw from that and take a, a lamb to offer to God. So in other words, what's going on is like this. On the eve of our liberation, this happens the night before we're about to leave, and, and this happens right before this week's parsha picks up, picks up the uh, the thread of the narrative when we, when we actually walk out, when we actually leave. On the evening of our departure, which is that's last week, last week's parsha, we are told to do an act which is not just symbolic and not just representative; it is um, effectuating. The Jews replacing Egyptian culture, Egyptian society, the Egyptian world that they had been a part of for 210 years, withdrawing from that and replacing that with, with God, with, with, with God's culture, with God's system uh, approach to life, with, 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 with Judaism. They were told to do this right before they leave Egypt. Saying that differently... The exodus is not just uh, an exercise in a, a, a physical liberation, geopolitically de- declaring ourselves as free men. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer subjects of Pharaoh. It's much more than that. We were not just slaves, let's say, to use the term slaves, to the authority of, of, of Pharaoh. We were enslaved to Egyptian culture, to Egyptian society, to Egyptian values, and, and that all, all that is, is, is represented by, you know, the e- Egyptian gods and everything that those gods stand for and everything that um, the uh, Egyptian society uh, aligning themselves, uh, uh, being, uh, 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 pledging allegiance to those gods, believes in and lives for, the Jews were wholly firmly immersed in this culture. They were very, very much immersed in this culture for, for centuries. Um, and God doesn't just see a humanitarian crisis, doesn't just see the descendants, millions of descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, um, suffering, suffering physically. He sees an entire nation that's lost its way. They've lost their way. And they have been, they, they have become over time a nation that has forgotten where they came from, forgotten their values, forgotten um, the clarity and, and the direction 
that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived by and gave over to their, 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 their children, that godliness, and they have become entirely immersed in, 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 in something which is more or less the antithesis of that godliness, and that's Egyptian society, Egyptian culture, Egyptian religion. But it's not even the religion as much as what it stands for. What it stands for. The, the um, immoralities of Egypt and the, the, uh, the, the um, um, you know, the, 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 whenever you have um, a polytheistic society, of which Egypt was one, multiple, multiple gods, these gods are ultimately there to allow me to rationalize and justify all of my vices, all of my uh, indulgences, you know, in Greek, in the Greek, the Greek gods in Greece, the ancient Greece, all the Greek gods, the, the pantheon of Greek gods were there, you know, the, the god of drinking, the god of, 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 of eating, uh, the god of slumber, the god of war. All these gods are really ultimately there as outlets for man to justify all of his vices, all of his evils, and I know, so, so of course, you know, I'm going to get drunk right now because I, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I am bringing a um, tribute to the god of wine, the god of inebriation, and how do you serve the god of wine by getting drunk? Uh, right now, it's the god of war is, is, is rising high in the sky, so it's time to go make war. The god of, of, of eating is, is rising right now, so let's have another bowl of chalet. Yes, go for it. Right? So all the, whenever you have a polytheistic society, a, a society that believes in multiple, multiple gods, it's, it's all an excuse to just to justify and rationalize my vices, my, my evils. And Egypt is no exception to this. Egypt is no exception. Egypt is a society in which um, we have the god of this and the god of that and the god of the other. Um, and it's all about not just not having to, you know, exercise self-control, not having to work on, you know, basic, um, uh, you know, all these, these basic uh, um, shortcomings of human nature that we all have as human beings. Not only I, I, don't, ha I don't have to work on it, I don't have to, you know, think about it, I can neglect it, but I, I, I can champion it. It's a cause. It's a cause. I, I don't have, I should, I should work on my, you know, overeating? What, oh, what, what do you mean? I, I should, I should work on it. I champion overeating because there's a god of eating. I champion drinking, drinking my brains out because there's a god of drinking. I champion war because there's a god of war. This is what Egypt is, what Egypt stands for. And the nation's values and the nation's beliefs are always represented first and foremost by the nation's leader. The nation's leader is the one that has the responsibility to take that nation somewhere of redeeming value um, and and when the nation is not going somewhere of redeeming value that's also who's to blame for that that's the leader the leader of the nation is there to take the nation somewhere of redeeming value it, it's always like that it, it, the times have not changed you know nowadays well we don't have pharaohs we don't have emperors we don't really have real kings anymore we have kings in title in coronation but you know uh, well, maybe um, Saudi Arabia has a king, right? In the Middle East, they still have kings with with real uh, real kingly powers over there. But uh, we maybe have a president. But uh, a nation still needs a leader, and the leader sets the tone for the nation. The leader sets a leader always sets the tone for the nation, both in terms of 
what this nation stands for, this nation's values, but that leader also has, as you know, his, his, his um, moral fiber. What kind of role model is he? What does he give over to the nation? What are the values that he is, is, is giving the nation? And um, this is never a political class over here. We, we always avoid politics, even when we talk about politics, right? Because as long as you give that disclaimer that we don't talk about politics, then no one can say that we got into politics over here. But, you know, being that um, our very own Shlomo, Steve Novick, has sponsored this class, and there's nothing that Shlomo likes better than, than a good political discussion, right? Absolutely. Rolling up his sleeves and getting into the political arena. So, you know, as great, we've had good presidents in, 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 in recent times, but a good president, and we can't be afraid to say this, a good president, a president is a leader. A leader means two things. He leads the nation to success. He's able fearlessly to, to make the right decisions that nation needs, but he also has to be someone who's a role model. And if he's only one and not the other, he's not a full leader, really. He's, he's not, he's not, he's short of the ideal. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. And we're not getting into politics because we're not mentioning anyone. We're not, you know, but, but we're just talking about what the definition of a leader is. A leader has to always, this is, you know, incidental right now a little bit, but, but um, as an aside, uh, a, a leader, every nation needs a leader, and the leader sets the tone for where this nation's going, what this nation stands for. The, a strong nation needs a strong leader, yes, and a successful nation needs a leader that can make good, successful decisions and not be afraid of anyone, but a leader has to be a good role model also, has to be someone that talks nicely, has, you know, is... Is as 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 is is is, is uh, you know is in touch with 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 you know mores and has social grace and and you know has filters, knows how to speak, knows how to talk, knows how to deal even with the opposition. Every leader has an opposition. You have to be able to work with the opposition. You have to be able to speak nicely to the opposition. As a leader has to be a role model also. A leader has to be a role model. But anyway, let's get getting back to. Um, but a leader can't only be a role model, right? You can't have, right? You have to have both. If a leader's only a role model, you know, like Mr. Rogers would not make a good president. As good of a role model as he is. There was, who was, who, right? Mr. Rogers, and he said that in Russian, I don't know. But, but who was, who was a, a better role model than Mr. Rogers, really? You know, I grew up with Mr. Rogers, right? Mr. Rogers, there's no role model like Mr. Rogers. I don't know if he would make a good president. I don't know if he could make, you know, good, really critical decisions and stand up to, to Russia and Iran and you know, everyone else that we had, China. I don't know, Mr. Rogers could stand up to China? I don't know, maybe. We never tried it out. But, but uh, he was an excellent role model. Nobody was a role model. Nobody had moral fiber like Mr. Rogers did. But uh, I don't know if he would be capable of, of making the decisions that a country needs. So you have to have both. You do have to have both, for sure. But, but getting back to Paro, Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the hotbed of everything that's wrong right now. Immorality, promiscuity, and, and indulgences in everything. That's what Egypt was all about. And the Jews were immersed in this culture for 210 years. 210 years. The Jews really were very much, the commentators tell us, it's not what it seems. It's not like we think the Jews remained a separate, distinct entity. They didn't. They were very much assimilated. They were bought into this lock, stock, and barrel. They, as much as they were a slave caste, but they were slave caste, that 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 you know gulped and it would, for for any uh, uh, you know any, any little bit of, of of exposure to Egyptian culture. This is what what life was all about. God sees this. God says we got to do something about this. This is upside down. 
it's, forget about the fact that you guys have been tormented for 210 years, but these are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that need to not, not just be rescued from slavery and captivity, you guys need to be rescued from Egyptian culture. You need to be shown the light, you need to get back in touch with your roots and understand that it's not polytheism, it's monotheism. The, the uh, gods are not there to justify and rationalize your vices and your bad character traits. To the contrary, the concept of a god is there to raise you, to elevate you, to lift you, to see how you can be good people with good moral fiber, good people of good standing, and 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 be elevated and and return to that beautiful, um, that that beautiful pedestal that your ancestors, the forefathers, were on. You guys are in, are, are, are in really big trouble over here. That's what God sees. That's what we have to get them out of Egypt. So see that getting them out of Egypt is not just about re the release from slavery. It's about the reversal of the entire Egyptian system, the value system, and replacing that with the value system of, of God going from polytheism, which is just there to, to justify. It, it's there as a, a, a pretext for all of our, our, our bad character traits and, and vices, and replace that with monotheism with God's vision, God's glory, God's values. That's what we really need. That's what the Exodus is all about. And the only way we can do that is, A, by this passage that we quoted, the verse that we quoted over here, Mishchul Kechul, purge yourselves, withdraw from Egyptian culture, and replace that with God, but we need one more thing also. The lure and the call of all the evils of Egypt is so strong that there's a danger that even after the Jews leave, they may find themselves being tempted by it once again. Because it's so strong, the lure and the call of it as a system, as a, as a, 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 a authentic, valuable system in of itself, they were immersed in that, and it's such a powerful system, such a powerful pull and call that that um, you know, it really is anarchy. That that the anarchy of oneself that Egypt, the Egyptian culture represented, such a strong and powerful pull that that there's a danger that even if we just leave it's going to pull us right back again. And we do see that there were holdouts. There were, you know, you read through the rest of the, the Chumash over here, there were times that when things got tough, there were complaints that were Jews that said, let's go back to Egypt. It wasn't the entire nation, but there were packets of Jews that would routinely say, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. What were they saying every time they said, let's go back? What they were saying is, we, we, we resent the restraints that you're putting on us, um, and we, we almost like resent the, the standards of godliness. Godliness puts standards, and yes, he stands as the best standards in the world. When I have a beautiful life, a glorious life, a life of, of, of um, refinement, but when I haven't worked out my past, my past pulls me back, my past addictions and my past vices, my past, you know, the, the, the life of the gutter is a very strong life, it, it pulls one back. For this to be done successfully, for the exodus to be a successful exodus, in what it really needs to be, which is replacing Egyptian culture with godly culture, replacing the, the we call the schmutz, well, everyone knows that word, the schmutz, you guys know, the, the schmutz of Egypt with the purity, the beauty of, of God's vision for, for the Jewish nation that can only happen if it's clear when we go that the system of Egyptian culture is meaningless, is valueless, is empty and hollow and has, there is no value, there is no meaning. In other, in other words, it has to be clear to the Jews, it's a system that yields to God's system. It's a system that is self-negating, as opposed to a system that's, that's a valid system, a powerful system, but you know, God's system is a little bit stronger. It can't be about a tug of war. It can't be that God had an arm wrestle with Egypt and God won, because if that's how we leave, 
then Egypt still exists. And the pull of Egypt, the call of Egypt, and the Egyptian culture, and that whole value of sh- the, the, the system of Shemut still exists. And we're going to be pulled back there again because it's so strong. The Exodus only works when it's Shalach Ami Viavduni. When you, Pharaoh, send everyone else. When it's Vayi B'Shalach Paros Ha'om. When Pharaoh sends everybody out, Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself has to be a participant. He has to say, everyone, go. Everybody, go. I'm telling you to go. What happens when Pharaoh sends everybody out as opposed to us marching out? It's a statement, a declaration from Pharaoh that's loud and clear that what? I yield to God. I submit to God. You're right. There is no system besides God's system. And there are no values besides God's values. Everything that we have in Egypt here is meaningless, is valueless, vanity of vanities. And I'm sending you guys out because that's where the action is. When we see that, we're leaving Egypt with this clarity that, yeah, this was all, this was just schmutz. It's the gutter life, and that's the real life is with God. But when we just march out and we defeated Par, we walked over Par, he doesn't send us out, all that happened was we won. Hooray, we won. God was stronger. But Pharaoh exists. You know, in, in sports games, there's, there's, uh, there's competitions, there's Super Bowls, let's say, right? So we all know who's going to win. But, but there's a team that has to lose. Super Bowl can't end in a tie, right? Now, the losing team, right? Who's the loser going to lose? Gonna lose? That's right. So now, <laughs> so, so, um, so, so uh, the, the, the team that loses, are they non-existent? They, they, when they lost the Super Bowl, they don't exist anymore? They yield their existence to the, to the winning team, to the victorious? Of course not. They're still, they're, they're, they're still the AFC uh, conference champions, right? They still have brand that they even made it to the Super Bowl. They still exist, but they lost. But they still exist. If we would march out over Paro and over Egypt, we won, but Paro and Egypt still exist. That's the critical difference. They understand the difference. They still exist, and they can still pull us right back again. We can't just march out of Egypt. Paro, Pharaoh has to send us out. When he sends us out, it's a declaration that I've surrendered my existence to God's existence. I've submitted myself to God's existence. That's where the action is. That's reality. This is meaningless emptiness. This is just schmutz. And schmutz is, is not even a valid system in of itself. We weren't defeated. We yielded. We surrendered to God. We gave way to God's existence. God's existence is the real existence. God's system is the real system. Okay, so that brings us full circle. That answers the question. That's why it has to be Pharaoh sending us out. That's why Pharaoh has a role to play. He has to be this agent that's sending us out. Otherwise, the exodus is not going to work. It's not a humanitarian crisis they're trying to solve. It's an existential uh, 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 phenomenon. We're creating a nation that has to be aligned under God's values. We have to show us that not just that God's values are stronger than Pharaoh's values, but Pharaoh's values are, 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 are non-existent. And that's why this parasha begins triumphantly. The true triumph lights in Vahid B'Shalach Paro. When Paro actually sends us out, he has yielded to God. And thank you all for joining. Everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos Kodesh. Thank you for joining everyone.